The word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we must confront what many have said is a flaw in Lutheran theology. Namely, the idea known as cheap grace. Cheap grace is a notion that, because Lutherans put such an emphasis on the gospel, on being saved by grace alone for Jesus' sake, that they discount and poo-poo good works, say good works don't matter anymore, and then fail to go around doing good works out of love and in service to their neighbor. To begin, then, I would like to refute this accusation on two counts. First, this is not a problem of Lutheran theology. It is, however, a problem for Lutherans. Second, it is a problem for Lutherans because it is a problem for everyone, everyone who has sinful flesh. Jesus addresses the matter in this week's Gospel lesson, another excerpt from the Sermon on the Mount. He begins by saying, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. That's to the point. What use has unsalty salt? Absolutely none. Salt that has no flavor isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing, and it ends up getting thrown away. By the way, don't push this analogy further than Jesus does. We know that salt doesn't have an expiration date and therefore salt doesn't lose its flavor. So if salt has no flavor, it was never salt to begin with. Now this has led some to push the analogy and conclude that Jesus is saying that believers who are low on good works were never believers in the first place. That's not the point. The point is that a believer without good works is an unding, a non-thing, like salt that has no flavor. 
Faith alone saves, but faith is never alone. Faith is always accompanied by good works. Jesus goes on with his next comparison. He says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. By forgiving sins and giving faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, the light of the world, enlightens you. And if he gives you light, you are naturally going to shine that light to those around you, unless you don't. It's possible, he says, once lit to light a candle and put it under a basket, which makes as much sense as turning on a flashlight and then putting it in a closed drawer when it's still turned on. It's a waste of the light that has been given, and eventually that light fades out and goes away. Likewise, if Jesus gives you grace and faith, and you decide not to make use of these gifts, they too will fade away, and you will return to darkness. Having said that, we have to refute another bad notion that people will fall for. It's the idea that good works keep faith alive. In other words, it's too common within Christianity for people to think that once you're saved by grace alone for Jesus' sake, it's up to you to keep your faith alive by doing all sorts of good works. Now, this gives your life a desperate tone because you're going to end up grumping since God has burdened me with salvation. Now, I've got to keep doing good works or else. This is a great way to lose all the joy of being a Christian. It's like saying, ah, because God has given me a heart that works, now I'm stuck with this burdensome heartbeat. The truth is that good works do not keep your faith alive. Grace keeps your faith alive, which is why worship on Sunday morning is all about receiving God's grace in his word and sacraments. If good works keep faith alive, then we would make sure every Sunday morning would be a different service project in the neighborhood. But if good works don't keep your faith alive, then what is the point of doing good works? This is where the temptation to cheap grace comes in, because in part your old sinful nature is lazy and says, if I don't have to do it, it's not necessary. But we never say that good works aren't necessary. We only say that they're not necessary for salvation. Good works and faith always go together like saltiness and salt, or like lit candles and light. Or, to use my analogy, beating hearts want to keep beating. Since God has given you a functioning heart, you don't grump that you're stuck with a pulse. Instead, you're really quite happy that your heart keeps doing its thing. Likewise, faith wants to do good works because that's what God has given faith to do. It wants foremost to hold onto Christ and his promises, and then it wants to reflect Christ by loving God and loving neighbor. Let me say that again. Faith wants to do good works. Faith is jumping up and down to do good works. That's the default setting. 
So to avoid doing good works is to discourage faith. If your heart wants to keep beating and you stop it from doing so, that's not good for your heart or for you. If your faith wants to do good works and you stop it from doing so, that's not good for your faith and that's not good for you. Or to put it another way, if you're not doing good works, then what are you doing? Bad works? Either by doing the wrong or by failing to do the right. What do we call bad works? We call them sins. What does sin do to faith? It works to destroy it. I mentioned before that avoiding good works is tempting because your old sinful nature is lazy. That laziness, though, is just a feint, a deception. Your old sinful nature is trying to kill you by suffocating the faith God has given. That's why cheap grace is such a dangerous temptation because it's cloaking an excuse to sin as a love for the gospel when it's really a hatred for the things of God. In fact, beware. While you're likely to avoid the pitfall of all on cheap grace, you're also very likely to go for the light version Namely, the idea that obeying God's law isn't as important as it used to be because you're saved by grace, not by your obedience. The fact that God has saved you from the curse of sin and death really ought to make you love and honor his law even more, not less, to want to keep his commandments out of thankfulness. But your old Adam never stops trying to destroy you. Heed these words of Jesus and take them to heart, where he says, Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus did not become flesh to give you some flexibility when it comes to sinning. He came to deliver you from sin. So, good works are good to do, just like breathing is a good thing to do, because breathing and good works are both what God has created you to do. So keep these two one-liners in mind. First, faith alone saves, but faith is never alone. Faith alone saves, but faith is never alone. And second, good works are necessary, but not for salvation. Good works are necessary, but not for salvation. Flee the ditch of cheap grace that says good works don't matter anymore because that ditch will destroy your faith. On the other side of the road, avoid the ditch of saying that it's your works that save you or strengthen your faith. That was the way of the Pharisees who tried their hardest to make themselves righteous by their works of the law. And Jesus simply says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Good luck with that. It is the grace of God that gives and sustains the faith that saves and wants to do good, 
And right in the middle of this sermonette on good works, we have a beautiful bit of gospel, a little bit about the grace of God. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In part, that's a warning that God's commands still matter and sin is still sin. So don't fall for the idea that Jesus paid the price so that you can sin all you want without cost. But more than that, there is this wonderful declaration where Jesus says, I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets, which is to say he has come to fulfill the Old Testament. Hear now this wonderful news. Jesus came to fulfill the law of God. He kept his father's commands down to every iota and dot without sinning once, without sinning at all. As the holy son of God, he lived a holy, perfect life of obedience in service to God and to all around him. He lived that perfect, holy life for you. Not to be the smart Alec life coach who says, you can do it too, because he can't. No, he lived that holy life so that he could give you the credit for it. In your baptism, he exchanged his holiness for your unholiness. On Judgment Day, you have the confidence that God will look upon you and declare that heaven is yours, not because of your perfect obedience, but because Jesus has given you the credit for his. When God the Father looks upon you, he sees the righteousness of his Son. As for your unrighteousness, Jesus also fulfilled the law of God by fulfilling its consequences once for all. The wages of sin is death, and he has fulfilled that sentence for all by his death on the cross. If you are a sinner, he has died for you so that you might be forgiven and set free from sin. Thus, there is even more joy for you here. Jesus has fulfilled the law and the prophets also in that he has fulfilled all the prophecies and promises of the Messiah. He has saved you from sin and death by his own death and resurrection. For risen again, he sets you free. What a life you have. You're delivered from sin, and so your bad works no longer condemn you. You're set free to go skipping through life loving God and neighbor because that's what your God-given faith is just itching to do. Repent of your distaste for good works as well as your misuse of them. Forgiven then, go. You are free. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.